0: And open your Bibles again to Ephesians, the first chapter. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 11 through 14 this morning. A little context for us before we jump into the verses here. It's always good to understand kind of the bigger picture as we come to a passage like this, um, think of the book of Ephesians in two parts, if you will. The first part, chapters 1 through 3, really tell us who we are in Christ. We we all need to have an identity, and if you're a believer in Christ, uh, your identity is spelled out very clearly in chapters 1 through 3. It tells you who you are in Christ, and we all need to know that. We need to know who we are. The last three chapters then tell us, in light of who we are, how do we live then? And obviously we, know we need to know how we should live, um, but that becomes much more clear to us and makes a lot more sense when we first understand who we are. In fact, the whole Christian life could be summed up in a very simple statement that I've heard in the past, and that is, you just need to live like who you are. And so if we understand who we are, then that's how we live. And of course, the details of that are what we work out every day in our lives. Um, As we get started looking at these verses, I want to relay to you a little piece of history, a little piece of American history here. There was a lady in American history who went by the name of Hetty Green. And Hetty Green was called America's Greatest Miser. You know what a miser is, right? Have the, have the first nickel you ever made and are still pinching it very hard. The buffalo is crying for mercy on that nickel. Well, she lived in the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. She died in 1916, obviously a long time ago. When she died, she left an estate valued at $100 million. In 1916, that was a lot of money. It's still a lot of money, right? $100 million. But Hetty Green was so miserly that she ate cold oatmeal because it was too expensive to heat the water to warm it in her mind. Her son had a severe leg injury, but she delayed getting treatment for his leg because she was trying to find a free clinic. In fact, she delayed so long that his leg had to be amputated. Now, that's a picture of somebody who doesn't know the resources that they have, right? What a tragedy that she died with $100 million in her estate, her son loses her leg, and she never knew what it was like to eat warm oatmeal. Well, for us as Christians, we don't want to fall into the same kind of trap there In living in a way that really doesn't represent who we are. And you've read in in the Bible that we have riches in Christ, right? And actually we're going to talk about some of that this morning. And really the book of Ephesians is written to Christians who might not realize who they are and all that is theirs. And so we don't want to be those people that don't realize what is ours and we aren't really living like who we are. So The Riches of Christ is what we want to focus on this morning, and that's what we're going to look at in verses 11 through 14 specifically. So um, if you look there in your, in your copy of the Bible, you'll see that um, immediately in verse 11, and in fact, I'll just le- read 11 through 14 again to get our, our minds in the right place as we're thinking about who we are in Christ. Verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him and were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's let's just take a moment at, at this juncture and just pray that God would open our minds to the truth of the scriptures here. Father, thank you for, again, the privilege of worship. Thank you for your word that we have so freely available to us. And Lord, I just pray that this morning these verses would become more clear to us and we would realize Just the immense value of the inheritance that is ours in Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. First of all, and again, to lay some context here, there are three blessings that Paul lays out here in chapter one. And uh, they go back to the beginning of the chapter, but uh, really, we'll we'll get to the third blessing here in, in verse 11. But the first blessing that he lays out is in verses 3 through 6, if you just look back there. And the first blessing that Christians have that Paul is laying out here is your election, your election. Look at verses 3 through 6 quickly. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Very clearly in those verses, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. God has a master plan and you were part of that plan, and he chose you. There's, there's a couple of terms that are used here, uh, and it, it's uh, good for us that Paul uses these terms. The first one is that he chose us. We understand that, what that is, right? I mean, he chose you specifically, and that, that kind of uh, paints the picture of how personal this was And then uh, it also tells us in verse 5 that he predestined us for adoption. This is God's plan that he put in place before the foundation of the world, and you were a critical part of that plan. Is that a blessing for us or what? That God chose us, this plan was in place, we are part of that plan And and really, there was nothing that would alter that master plan. We are totally on the receiving end of that. We receive the blessing, right? Well, there's a second blessing that is mentioned in verse 7. Look again as we're headed toward verse 11 here. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. And really, uh, verse 7 is tells us what the second blessing here is. It's the redemption that we have. And we have that redemption, as you know, clearly through his blood, right? We've been redeemed. We have been made a part of his church. And we have uh, really received forgiveness, it says there, according to the riches of his grace. All of what we've experienced because of God's redemption is really the second blessing that he's talking about. And then we come to blessing number three in verse 11, and that's really what we want to focus on today. In verse 11, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And the blessing that we talk about here, number three, is your inheritance. So your election happened in the past. Redemption Also referencing your salvation was in the past, but it's also ongoing now. You are being saved, right? Your sanctification is in process. And this inheritance then is future. In verse 11, we have obtained an inheritance, having been been predestined according to his will, to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will, that we were were the first to hope in Christ who did the praise of his glory. notice in this uh, verse verse 11 it says although I said our inheritance is future right you you don't really obtain an inheritance until you know something happens right that it's a it's a, a historical event we think of it as, Oh, my rich uncle passed away. I received the inheritance after that happens. And it is a future event for us. No one here has fully obtained the inheritance that the Lord has for us yet. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice that it says we have obtained an inheritance, past tense, right? We have obtained an inheritance. It's very interesting here when something in the future was so certain that it could not possibly fail to happen, the Greeks would often speak of it as as if it had already occurred. So your inheritance is so sure, your inheritance in Christ is so sure, we can speak of it as past tense because it will come about. Doesn't that give you some confidence when you read that in Scripture? It's so sure that... They just state it as if it's already happened, past tense. Now we want to look at verses 11 through 14, this incredible promise of our inheritance here. And you'll notice that that word inheritance shows up multiple times in these verses. And uh, we need to drill down a little bit and think about the the word here. It's a, a Greek verb, and it means a couple of things here that I want to explain for you. It means... To obtain as an inheritance, that's something that you're going to receive. Um, But it also can be translated that we have been made an inheritance. So there's two things going on here. I want you to think of it as two sides of the same coin. So we are going to receive an inheritance, but we've also been made an inheritance. And let's talk about both of those because both are true. Um, first of all, we've been made an inheritance. What does that mean? Whose inheritance are we? Well, it doesn't take too much to figure that out. Look at verse 11. It says, in him we have been made an inheritance. We could read that. In him we have been made an inheritance. So we are Christ's inheritance. He purchased us at the cross. He inherits us. We're his offspring, to use the language of Isaiah 53. We are Christ's inheritance then. The Father has given us to the Son as love gifts. The reason we are redeemed is that we might be the Son's inheritance. We might be his bride. You remember reading that? That the Father gives him out of eternal love. So we are his inheritance The Father expresses his love to the Son by giving the Son a redeemed humanity who will love him and serve him and honor him and praise him forever and ever. And it also gives the ultimate compliment by making people, Christians, ultimately in his image that they would reflect who he is. Can you imagine that that truly is the ultimate compliment if someone was to say i'm going to make everyone just like you because you are so perfect really we are becoming like christ we're being conformed to his image what a what a compliment to christ that is so yes we have an inheritance we'll receive we'll talk about that in a minute but to begin with we are an inheritance One way to look at the two sides of this coin is there is an old hymn that was written many years ago, and the, the primary line in the hymn is, I am his and he is mine. I am his and he is mine. So I am an inheritance, but I also obtain an inheritance. This really shouldn't be surprising of us. Just remind you of the language of Romans 8:17, we are joint heirs with Christ. All things belong to you in 1 Corinthians and you belong to Christ. So both are true. So Christ is in us, we are in Christ, we are Christ's inheritance and it is Christ who grants us an inheritance. So I hope we're getting a a little bit of an idea of the breadth of this. It's very important that we understand both both sides of this. It also draws our attention to the fact that when you became a Christian, you really lost your human identity. You lost your human identity. Now you're identified with Christ and Christ alone. And you remember what Paul said for me to live is what? Christ, right? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. There was no value at all to his human identity. So the Bible is very clear about this. Uh, just a couple of other passages to let you know um, kind of the repeating theme throughout the scriptures here. First uh, 1 Peter 1, 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. So we will obtain this inheritance. Then Colossians 1.12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we have redemption, and then beyond redemption, we have the inheritance. We're qualified by the work of Christ to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And uh, just one last one here, Colossians 3.24, Knowing that from the Lord... You receive the reward of inheritance. So the idea goes two ways. We are an inheritance and we receive an inheritance. So I spent a little time on the fact that we are an inheritance, but let's let's move on to the other side of the coin. So, okay, then you know you're going to receive an inheritance. So you must be wondering: well, how much do I get? This is sounding pretty good, right? You have an inheritance coming. This is going to be great. And the answer is: every promise God ever made is your inheritance. Every promise God ever made is your inheritance. Think about what that means. Maybe you're thinking, "Well, I'm not sure what that is." You know, I, I was kind of hoping for a dollar amount here. You know, I could understand that. But think about what God has promised for us. First of all, He's promised that we'll be with Christ forever, right? That we'll reign with Him. We're promised that when we are with Him, there'll be no more tears and no more sorrow, right? Anybody have a relationship that has really caused you some pain in your life? That's all gone. That's one of the promises that's coming your way. Is so anybody really struggling with some physical pain? And you just wonder, is this ever going to stop? Or, or maybe it's mental anguish for something that's happened in your life. Is, is that with you forever? All that has been promised to be taken away when you are with him in glory. And so, I mean, if you need promises, just take a quick read through the book of Revelation. Revelation. And find out what's coming your way, all those are the promises that are yours and they're an inheritance. You know, what happens during uh, the settling of an estate is legal documents determine how assets pass from one person to another, right? And part of that can be an inheritance. And when that happens, I mean, it is casting concrete. There is there is no argument when the documents are done correctly in the legal system. The person who receives the inheritance, it's theirs. There's no argument, there's no appeal. I mean it's it's a done deal. And I I think you can agree with me that we can put great confidence in that God has got the documents correct. Right? There is no wiggle room when he says you receive an inheritance and it's going to be all the promises of Christ. That's exactly what it is. And so we really have something to look forward to here. Um, In 1 Peter 1, it says that God, through his divine power, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. What does that include? Everything, right? Everything. Everything. He's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. In addition to thinking about some of the things that we will receive, he promises that we will escape. We will escape the corruption in the world and become partakers of the divine nature. This is our inheritance in uh, 1 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises, Paul says, all the promises of God are in Christ, yes. And so you can start listing off the, the things that you're wondering about. Am I going to be forever with Christ? Yes. Am I going to uh, have peace like I've never known? Yes. Am I going to get the fulfillment that I've looked for my whole life? Yes and you can go on and name whatever else it is that has been incomplete in your life on this earth, and it will be complete there. Whatever you can name, Paul just says the answer is yes. Whatever it is that Christ has promised, it will be there. So, this inheritance idea goes two ways. We've been made an inheritance, we'll receive an inheritance. It's God's way of just sweeping everything up and saying, It's all going to belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to you, and you belong to him, and it's all yours. By the way, I think it was back in 2015, there was a best-selling book. I hesitate to call it a Christian book, but the title of it was Your Best Life Now. And let me tell you, this is not your best life now. As good as you think you have it, this is nothing. The only way this is your best life now is if you're not a Christian and you're going to hell. Then then this is your best life now. But for you as a Christian, this is nowhere near your best life now. Just wait till you have your divine inheritance. Then we're talking about your best life. So, Let's look in more detail at this inheritance, just three things to consider here. Number one, what's the basis of this inheritance? And I think you intuitively know this, but in verse 11, it says, in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained or been made an inheritance, and really the basis for our inheritance is Christ here, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And that's where it all started. And we go back to what we've already mentioned in verses 4 through 6, being chosen and predestined, right? Being chosen and predestined. The basis of your inheritance is God chose you. It's just like the long-lost uncle that you didn't even know you had You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, did you know what was going on? You you weren't even in existence, but yet God knew you and chose you in him to be the recipient of the inheritance. The ground of our inheritance is the fact that we were predestined to this end And we were predestined in verse 5 as adoption as sons according to the kind intention of his will. Adopted as sons of God through Jesus Christ to himself. Again, this speaks to the fact that we belong to Christ. We are his heritage, his inheritance because God determined that when he chose us, as verse 4 says, it was before the foundation of the world and that's the basis of our inheritance. Before we move on um notice how many times in this section uh the scripture speaks of being in christ or in him it's in verse three we're in christ in verse four we're in him in verse six in the beloved in verse seven in him verse nine in him verse 10 in him verse 12 in him verse 13 in Him. you get in the picture are you seeing who the, who the critical component is in our position here? It's because we are in Christ, right? We're in Christ. And the scripture makes that very clear. All of this is tied to our union with Christ. We're chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We're redeemed in him in verse 7. And our inheritance is in him. So this all starts with our our predestination or election. But just a reminder here that predestination or being chosen doesn't absolve you of your own responsibility. And how do we know that? Uh, Because as we read through this passage, 11 through 13, um, we're reading about uh, we've obtained this inheritance, we've been predestined according to the purpose of his will, And then in verse 12, uh, we were the first to hope in Christ to the praise of his glory. In verse 13, in him also you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then at, at this juncture, you read that, and then we believed in him. So we're going along and everything is of Christ. He chose us. We were elect. All these things were coming our way. It's all in Christ and done by Christ. And finally, the gospel of your salvation, then your part comes into play, then you believed. And so, the sovereignty of God in salvation is not totally divorced from our believing. It seems in our human minds that how can these two possibly go together And I think that's the whole point, is that humanly we can't reconcile these things. And maybe you have some problem with that. But on the other hand, aren't you glad that God's mind is infinitely more capable of understanding than yours? And so both are true. God is sovereign in salvation. He chose us. He predestined us. But yet, when the gospel is presented, a person must believe, right? And just because those are irreconcilable in our minds um, doesn't mean they aren't true. It just means that we have some limitations in our human understanding. Just to understand that that's what the Scripture says and that's what, true, what is true and that's the way God has laid it out in Scripture, that should be enough for us rather than needing to understand that fully. So the basis of our inheritance is this predestination, being chosen, and then we believed, and it started with his purpose. And um, there's an interesting word used here. And the the word uh, is the the original word in the Greek here is the word that we get horizon from. And it means to mark out the boundaries. And God literally marked out the boundaries of all the people that he would save and would be included here, really among the saved, among those who would receive that inheritance. They were in God's plan and in God's will and in God's purpose and in his mind, and their being chosen and redeemed was all part of his plan, and they were with him, and he died for them, And now they live in Christ and will be perfectly joined to him in the future. And so all of this is part of God's plan. By the way, in verse 11, it says that um, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, this, uh, this phrase here, who works all things after the counsel of his will, um, has a very interesting Greek word there. We can learn a lot just by looking back at some of the original language, and of course most of us don't understand any of that, but the word used here is energeo, and it's not a stretch to understand that that means energizes. Energizer bunny, Right? And the idea here is whatever God plans, this was God's plan choosing you, predestining you from the future, from from eternity past, before the foundation of the world. That was his plan. It's no problem for God to bring that about. What God plans, he energizes. He makes it happen. Sometimes that's not true with us. I have a great plan to make something come to pass, right? But I I just couldn't bring it about. I didn't have the energy to see it through. I didn't have the resources. Something fell apart, right? That never happens with God. God has the energy to bring about the plan that He has put in place. He energizes everything according to His plan. So we have an inheritance. The ground or the basis of that inheritance is being predestined, being chosen in verse 11. And the ground of that inheritance is also, according to verse 13, believing. Your responsibility is not to figure out God's predestined plan. Your responsibility is to believe and whoever believes the Lord will never turn away. So that's the foundational understanding here and really the basis for our inheritance and all that's bound up in God's plan here and our response of faith. So that's the first thing to to understand about this, the basis of this inheritance. There's a second thing to recognize, and that is, what's the guarantee of our inheritance? What's the guarantee of our inheritance? In verse 13, at the end, it says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the second thing to realize here is there's a guarantee of our inheritance. And that guarantee is the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a review to the redemption of God's own possession. So the guarantee of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit, and it says you were sealed in Him in Christ with the Holy Spirit. Now this business of sealing here with the Holy Spirit, it's a very essential ministry of the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's great here that the Scripture calls the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit of promise. And uh, I hate to tell you this if you don't recognize it, but here in 2024, it's going to be an election year, and you're going to get all kinds of promises coming your way, aren't you? Is anybody going to put a lot of weight on those promises? If you're thinking, yes, so I'm going to believe all those promises, I need to talk to you. You know, know, we've all been lied to, right? And and we probably all made promises, and we've broken them for one reason or another. But let me tell you here, when the Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit of promise, this is one promise that's never broken. The Holy Spirit of promise. Now, the Holy Spirit um, does many things. He illuminates us, he helps us understand scripture, he's our resident teacher, he convicts us of sin, he does ongoing work in our lives, enabling us to minister our gifts, but he's also this Holy Spirit of promise, and that's to say he guarantees the fulfillment of future inheritance. And as I mentioned, you know, this this is phenomenal, this future inheritance, We're talking about what heaven is going to be like. We're talking about what the new heaven and the new earth are going to be like. Do you know you're going to reign with Christ on the new earth? And so the promises, uh, although the promises made to us in our day by people are almost worthless, that's not the case with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it says uh, in our passage here that this is the seal of the Holy Spirit. It says you were sealed in him. And so I want to explain for you this notion of sealing a little bit, and it will give us an idea of of, uh, really how significant this is and what we're talking about. So there's four things that the seal really tells us about here. And the first is the seal is a sign of security, the seal is a sign of security. A good example for us here is back in Daniel chapter 6. This is where Daniel ultimately gets thrown into the lion's den. During this uh, period of time, if a man had a signet engraved, it was his identifying mark. And that could be on a ring, it could be on a medallion, but that was unique to him. And when, when he used that, uh, it was his stamp. And so he could verify any legal document, And uh, when the king commanded Daniel to be confined, the king wanted everybody to do exactly as they're supposed to, of course, bowing down to him, and Daniel didn't do that. And so Daniel was ultimately put into the lion's den, and there was a seal put on the lion's den then, on the entrance of the lion's den, and no one could break that seal. What it meant was that the seal could not be broken unless the person breaking the seal had power greater than the king. And so the king sealed the tomb. And as you know, Daniel survived the night in the, in the uh, lion's den, right? And uh, But no one could break that seal. Similarly, on Christ's tomb, uh, that was sealed with the Roman seal, which meant that no one could break that seal unless they were greater than Caesar. No one could break the seal unless they had more power than Rome. And by the way, a power greater than Rome opened the tomb, right? And so really it doesn't violate what we're thinking at all about the seal here. And that was a way to secure something in those days. And that's exactly what the seal of the Spirit is. We need to realize that we are secured When it talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are secured and secured by the Holy Spirit, and no one has greater power than he does. No one can break the seal. So that's the first thing the seal represents here. The second thing the seal represents and represented in the Jewish culture was a sign of being authentic. You know what authentic is, right? It's the real deal. The real thing. You remember back in 1 Kings 21, Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard, and through Jezebel's deception, she got it for him by writing letters and sealing them with Ahab's seal, so it appeared to everyone like the letters were coming from Ahab. And this was the official mark of authenticity, the royal signature. So the idea here is that God's seal secures us, and he seals it so that it The label on us is that we belong to him. We are legitimate, authentic sons of God. So we are secure and authentic, being his genuine child. There's a third thing the seal indicates, and that is ownership. And again, an example from the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 32, God instructs Jeremiah to purchase a piece of property, and God wants him to have that property, And wants his descendants to have that property. And so the seal was applied to a land transaction as evidence of new and valid ownership. And this is really a great picture here because the spirit seal declares the transaction of salvation as divinely official and final. We are owned by God. So the seal means we're secure and we're authentically children of God and we're owned by him. And there's one final thing that the seal represents, and that is a sign of authority. And uh, again, here an Old Testament example, the story of Esther, when the king wanted to give Haman the delegated power to kill the Jews before he really knew what was going on, and he sealed it with a signet ring. And later on, things changed, of course, and he was confronted with what Haman was doing and he get, then he gave to Mordecai and Esther his pledge and promise to protect the Jews, and he sealed this, and it was a symbol of authority, essentially saying, you can carry out this action. You have the authority delegated from me, the king said. And so that's kind of what the, the seal represents there. So as we think about this sealing of the Holy Spirit it indicates for us security, authenticity, ownership, and authority, and and really a very strong guarantee of this inheritance that's coming our way. So it's the Holy Spirit of promise who secures us in our inheritance. And uh, one other comment here before we move on, and that is in verse 14, the Holy Spirit is given as a pledge Not only a seal, but a pledge. And what is the pledge here? Well, there's a couple of things to realize about the pledge. One is that it represents a down payment. Whenever you sell anything of value, let's say a piece of property or a vehicle, you know, it's one thing for me to say that, oh, I want to buy it from you. It's a whole other thing if I put some money down, right? When I put money down... I'm committed. I'm gonna. I am gonna buy that from you. I don't want to lose what I put down, right? And so, this idea of a down payment is really a, a good understanding of what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is the first installment our, on our inheritance that's yet to come. Okay, so we can be sure that the inheritance is coming our way. The other thing. Uh, to realize about this business of a pledge is to understand it as uh, in, in the culture it was used to, to uh, describe something similar to an engagement ring. So the Holy Spirit's not only our down payment for our future inheritance, but also the engagement ring that means we are the bride and we will be married to the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Just a little free advice for young girls here who are not married yet. If a young man says, oh, I'm really interested in you. Maybe we have a future together. You can kind of take that you know, for what it's worth. Don't get too excited about that. But when he gives you the engagement ring, now we've got something to talk about. Now you can look forward to there actually being substance in the relationship, right? And that's similar to what we see here with the engagement ring, idea with the Holy Spirit. So, as a believer, I think you know that your best life is yet to come. Paul's really calling these troubled believers in the church at Ephesus, and they were living in their worst, the worst life of their day, really, and they were suffering patiently, and their hearts were really looking for what was to come and this eternal inheritance promised them was a very important thing. So Paul wants them to understand the blessings that are coming their way and uh, really what God has done for them in choosing them in eternity past but also what's waiting for them in glory in the future. Sometimes we are like a child prince. Think of it this way. We're like a child prince who before he he grows up and is mature, he can't grasp the enormity of his inheritance. He's just a young boy, but he's a prince. And he has great things coming his way. Sometimes we're like that. We have little understanding of what's coming for us, what the inheritance really involves And that's why down in verse 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I'm praying for you that your understanding, the eyes of your heart be enlightened here, illuminated, so that you know the hope of your calling and the riches that are coming your way. Let me just summarize here by expressing it this way, you know what our problem is? We get distracted by this world and we forget about our inheritance. We get all caught up in this world. We forget that we really can't fix this world. It's not going to turn around. This is really as good as it gets for this world. But don't be discouraged about that. We want to get ready for this world to be less than you want it to be, but you're waiting for a salvation to be revealed in the last time, to borrow Peter's words. We need to be fixing our affections on things above, not things on the earth. So the basis of this inheritance is our predestination and our faith. We have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. There's one final thing here before we close the book on this passage, as it were, and that's the goal of our inheritance. And what really, what's the goal of all that we've been talking about this morning? Well, it's in verse 12, and it's in verse 14. Notice what it says. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of His glory, everything we're talking about is for God's glory. To the praise of His glory, and that's always the reason for everything. Remember, it's not about us; it's about Him. And so, this inheritance, as good as it's going to be for us, is really to bring God glory. And what could be better than that? So, this is um, th- this is really quite remarkable here that God is going to provide us with this inheritance. And uh, if you're like I am, and you you think about the way that you live your life sometimes, you wonder, why does God even tolerate me? You know, I, I fall so short. And I think that's true for most of us. The reason is that he is perfecting us, and he's causing us to become like his son, the Lord, and ultimately it's going to be to the praise of his glory and just what a what a great privilege is it is to understand that that's what he is doing in us <clears throat> um, think for, think for just a moment here about heaven um you know ultimately uh Our inheritance will be fully realized there. Um, I want you to understand, though, that uh, heaven is not about you getting your own mansion. It's not about you traversing New Jerusalem and checking out the streets of gold or anything that you've read about. It's about having you made like the Son of God so that you can fully satisfy who you were meant to be and you can fully bring him the glory that's due his name. And people, unfortunately, sometimes think, uh, well, isn't it going to be boring in heaven? What are we going to do? Well, we have no idea what it's going to be like to be free from sin and to be experiencing pure and holy worship in his presence. And trust me, you will never tire of doing that because that's what we were made to do. By the way, that will be your best life. That'll be your best life. I'll ask you to stand, allow me to pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for these few verses we could look at in Ephesians and for giving us just this glimpse of our inheritance that will be ours in the future. Thank you that it's a sure thing because of the sealing of your spirit. Father, I pray that we wouldn't get too distracted by this world and forget what is truly ours, forget who we are in Christ, but I pray that more and more every day we would be more like him and see things more clearly and we would hold more uh, firmly to Scripture and um, just live our lives to your glory each day. Father, thank you that the day is coming when we will understand fully who we are, and we look forward to living in your presence, where we can bring you the glory that's due your name, and we can worship you perfectly every day in Jesus' name. Amen.